Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Rangely Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Monday, January 11th, and today we're going to start by talking about the most interesting things we've seen in the markets in the past week, and then we're going to wrap it up with a little bit on David Bowie. Uh, so Chris, why don't you kick us off and talk about what the most interesting thing you've seen in the market over the past couple weeks is? Well, I think of all the stuff that we've been looking at, I've been very interested in Constant Contact, uh, ticker CTCT. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is the target of a definitive merger. They are being bought by Endurance, uh, EIGI, uh, for $32 per share. Uh, this is a company that does annoying emails. They do uh, internet marketing uh, more generally. Uh, they uh, were the target of a very long-standing active bidding process. I mean, this this went back probably to 2014. Yep. They were looking yep. for buyers. Uh, GoDaddy uh, and Web.com were interested, uh, but uh, when uh, Endurance arrived with their bid nobody else came in during the go shop period uh and so we have a deal uh, we have a deal and we have a deal that uh really was of no interest to me whatsoever when it was tight but then uh then something happened yeah so just before we go into the, the something happened for our listeners there there are two things i wanted to add to that so the merger deals, when they're announced, you can go and read the background to the merger agreement. And that's what you were referring to. Where Some of my favorite reading. Yeah, it's always actually really thrilling reading to, <laughs> for finance nerds like us. But it shows that the company was well-shopped in constant communication with buyers. Uh, there, were, there was a, I believe it's Strategic Bidder X or something, who was kind of neck and neck with endurance bidding. And then there was also a go shop period, which is after a deal is announced. You say, hey, everyone, Endurance is going to acquire us for $32 per share, but you have 30 days or 21 days to come in with a topping bid if you would like to. And during that time, you can, and there's kind of no penalty to breaking this deal. So just wanted to find that before you. Yeah, uh, let me go on a tiny tangent and then do uh, uh, throat-cutting symbols if I go <laughs> for too long, which is if you own a private business, if you are the owner-operator of a business and you have people running it for you, you want people who are good fiduciaries, their agents. And the way I think about it is without asking me, they know how to behave in a way that I would if I was there, but they do it. Ironically, in public companies, actually, I'm kind of looking for the opposite because if they were really good fiduciaries, they did everything the right way. The shares would be priced for perfection. The opportunity, it's a downer. You know, these people who well represented me, who uh, they they looked at the people I would look to buy them. Uh, They were fair. They were full. Uh, well, then you're already where you are. Exactly. So I think the company I'm going to talk about is a company who the managers maybe aren't that great. So margins are well below peers, and that's where the opportunity is. That's where the opportunity is. So why don't you talk about uh, something happened in the past month or so that kind of it has created some confusion around the deal. Why don't you go yes, to that? and uh, it's always nice to have this conversation when you don't have economic exposure. <laughs> we happily didn't. Uh, so the shares uh, were bouncing around 25-ish. Uh, the deal when it was announced that they were getting bought for 32 traded to 31 and a half ish. And it bounced around there from the 
early part of November through the middle part of December. So that is a tight spread. Tight 3150 spread. versus 32, very yep. small difference. And yep. that means most people think there's a very good chance the deal goes through. Limited yep. risk, it breaks. And how merger arb situations, the arbitrage, the exploiting the difference between the market price and the deal price often works because it's heavy on very large hedge funds and prop desks, it's heavy on tax-efficient funds, uh, is to find spreads where subjectively they're quite likely to close and lever them up. Levered up 10 to 1. Yep. It's a 1% spread. Lever up 10, per, 10 to 1 will make 10% yep. on it. And yep. that is not only not what we look for, but it's almost the inverse of what we think about doing. Yep. Uh, I would not take more than 95% likelihood that I could spell my name correctly. <laughs> and even if I think I rather could, uh, I know that statistically people are overconfident. Mm-hmm. And allegorically, I'm no better than others at uh, thinking things that don't necessarily happen, which means that I want to get paid so much that not only do I get a good return, but I get to pay for all of my losers with my winners and then have some money left over each month or each year. Great. So the spread was trading very tight. Yes. People were saying 98, 99, 95, something like that, percent probability of deal closes. Almost certain. And then something happens. The SEC uh, came to them uh, with uh, uh, requests for information, uh, formally subpoenas. Uh, the Boston office uh, contacted them. Uh, and uh, within a very short period of time, uh, I was able to uh, chat with folks on the buyer's team. Yep. And they sounded, um, I need a better term for this, but constipated, kind of lawyered up uh, and so forth. And they said, well, this was not unexpected. So uh, what Chris is referring to is both the buyer and the seller were hit with a subpoena by the SEC Boston yep. office. And Chris called kind of the buyer's investor relations team and says, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they can say a lot of different things. They obviously mm-hmm. can't give anyone material, non-public information. Sure. But Chris said, based on the way they're talking, they sounded very, they sounded like this was a smaller issue mm-hmm. than the headline SEC subpoena would read. I don't want to put yeah. words in your mouth, but. No, that's fair. And it actually wasn't their IR people, but still the same yeah. people who could speak on behalf of the company. And they, uh. Uh, they were aware of this because they had the same thing. Uh, and uh, the uh, top line was awful. The shares traded from about 3150 to about 2850 where they've been bouncing around yep. ever since. Um, and uh, we, we've accumulated some position, not, not nothing heroic, but gotten involved since then. And think that at a tight spread, it wasn't an interesting question, but at a widespread that it is. So let's talk a little bit about the chance that you'll close real quick. Yes. So uh, there's a article on Seeking Alpha written by yours truly that mm-hmm. it kind of talks a little bit about this. But basically, the way you can do the math is you take whatever price you think the shares would trade at if the deal breaks mm-hmm. times X percent. Plus the deal close times one minus X percent and equals whatever the share price is. And if you kind of do that algebra, you can get to the X, I guess. Mm-hmm. And right now the market's probably enclosing, implying about a 70 or 70% chance the deal closes. How do you, do you think that's right? How do you feel about that? Um, well, I think that, uh, first of all, People have very crude or chunky increments that they really can understand percentages. It's yep. very funny when you talk about percentages and, and you know, somebody, is there a 70 or 71% chance? 
I have no idea. Nobody does. Yep. Uh, but crudely and in broad uh, chunks, uh, it's actually much higher than that. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that the deal is going to close. It's likely to close soon. It doesn't really add to the buyer's problems at the SEC. The reasons for doing the deal is intact, and the price wasn't really too high to begin with at all. And I think one thing we really like is the, the deal makes a lot of strategic sense. It's mm-hmm. a, a full and fair price, but it's not overvalued. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, it makes a lot of strategic sense. Endurance mm-hmm. does small business web hosting. Constant Contact does small business email marketing. You combine the two, and there's both a lot of cost synergies and a lot of potential cross-selling uh, opportunities. And that's kind of verified by the fact that there were several strategic bu- other strategic buyers interested in Constant Contact. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I think the shareholder vote is set for some t- sometime later this month. Uh, we'll be keeping everyone updated on it, and we'll uh, hopefully we'll see a deal close sometime in Q1, and it'll be a strong return. I've always liked the legal standards of, uh, at best, beyond a reasonable doubt, in the middle, clear and convincing, or at least a preponderance of evidence. And I would say this is clear and convincing. It's kind of in the middle. Yep. It's, quite, yep. it's quite likely it'll happen. Agreed. So, Andrew, that's all I have. Uh, certainly all I have time for. Uh, how about you? What are the most interesting things you've been thinking about and working on? Yeah, so the, the one I've been looking at a lot is uh, Del Frisco's. The ticker is DFRG. And what they are is they own the kind of famous Del Frisco Steakhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's one in New York that's one of the highest grossing restaurants in America, if not the highest. And uh, what's happened is over the past year, the company's shares have been hammered. They had this big growth story where they had a a unit called Del Frisco's Grill. And in total, the company had maybe 50 restaurants, and of them, 20 were Del Frisco's Grills. And they were saying, we're going to add six grills a year. So that's a lot of growth, right? Six on 50, 10% growth just from units. And uh, the company, this year, their most recent batch of grills has not been performing up to speed. So they said, hey, we're going to pause growth activities for a while while we figure our model out. And when a company goes from kind of a growth story like that to not a growth story, the stock tends to not trade well. Uh, And the other thing is the company had basically been focused on growth and nothing else. So their margins, you know, revenues, less costs, are well below what you would expect. They're well below peers. They've kind of got some advantages in their business that would suggest their margin should be higher than peers, but they're actually lower. And their same store sales, which is, you know, we had this restaurant open this year, last year and this year. How do sales versus look this year versus last year? Their same store sales have been terrible. They're at the bottom of all their comps in terms of both restaurant margins and same store sales. So uh, I think it's a situation right for an activist. And Fidelity National, ticker FNF, came in and bought 10% of the shares in the past couple months. And they have a history of acquiring underperforming restaurants and turning them around. They did it with J. Alexander's, which is a loose peer. They bought them in 2012, turned them around, and IPO'd them for a big profit uh, in 2015. And I think they're kind of thinking they can pull the same playbook here. And one thing I like, and I'll let you speak a little bit to it, is uh, Del Frisco's has very loose corporate defenses, mm-hmm. which could ac- encourage an acquirer. Absolutely. I, I would say they are weak and weakening. Yep. Uh, that if you look at uh, what do you do uh, if you are a shareholder, you can throw out the board, you can vote against a deal, you can sell your shares, you have a lot of 
recourse against a company, which is why shareholder class actions normally lose. What can you do if you're a board? Well, uh, in Delaware and as the basis for most U.S. corporate law, uh, you can manage a process, but you cannot permanently entrench yourself without mm-hmm. causing a lot of legal problems. Uh, but far short of permanently entrenching yourself, there's a lot of procedural hurdles you can uh, cause. Uh, staggered boards. So they do have a staggered board, but aside from that... Poison pills. No poison no pill. Poison. And they didn't announce one after the 10% was acquired, which is a big sign. And and the, I, I'm very interested in the trajectory. You know, what, yep. you know, usually you're somebody who's focused on maximizing shareholder value. If you don't like a specific alternative, convince the market, get your share price above it, or entrenching yourself, fight, prevent the interlopers from doing what they want and hold on to your jobs. These people appear to be more likely to do the first than the second. Yep, yep. So we haven't seen them come out with any uh, kind of classic corporate defenses to entrench themselves, or not entrench themselves, but kind of deter Fidelity Mm -hmm. from making a bid. There's been no poison pill. Uh, There hasn't even really been a response, which makes us think a auction or a sale process is the next step. Uh, The last time Fidelity bought someone, they bought J.O. Xanders, and there was uh, a lot of interest in buying J.O. Xanders. So I think that's the end game here. Uh, I think any anyone who buys them, the playbook will be pretty easy. Buy Del Frisco's, get the margins up to kind of comparable peer levels, set the company up for growth, start growing grill a little bit, IPO them in two years at a big profit once mm-hmm. they've kind of started growing a little. Uh, anything else there or should we go on to David Bowie? I think that sounds good. Let's okay. David Bowie. Uh, so if you're interested in any of those stocks, we've got uh, articles out on Seeking Alpha on both of them, which you can go read. Uh, before we move on to David Bowie, just a quick request. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud. If you already follow us, please be sure to rate us, preferably highly, but however you think of the podcast. And if you've already rated us, please share us with a friend who you think would like the podcast. All right, so uh, let's move on to David Bowie, Chris. So David Bowie uh, sadly died this morning, and he's being remembered for a lot of things. But I think the thing we want to talk about is uh, he was also a little bit of a financial innovator, mm-hmm. and he kind of his uh, Bowie bonds in 1997 were quite innovative and still have an impact on the market. Absolutely. He bundled uh, his existing recordings, around 300 different existing recordings and copyrights into a $55 million security. Mm -hmm. Uh, It paid the buyer Prudential Insurance uh, a 7.9% annual rate over the 10 years, backed by income from his royalties and record sales. And this kind of thing took off after him, but Bowie Bonds was really the first celebrity uh, backed uh, securitized instrument. So now those things have taken off and you can see them. They're not super common, but you'll see them, you know, with movie rights and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But what I want to talk to you about is uh, there's a little bit of an adverse selection here, right? Like yeah. an artist is selling the rights to their own music. What is, would you want to be on the other side of what that artist is selling? You know, I uh, like it when I know something uh, perhaps that you don't. Yep. And I'm quite okay about it if I know that I don't know something, but I know that there's no way you would know either. But I get very uh, nervous when I don't know something, but you have everything in the world that you would know on your side of the table. And this is kind of the case with him. You know, he knows how much harder he's going to work, how much he thinks he's going to be in favor in the future. He's probably the world was the world's foremost expert on David Bowie, probably. So that's that's a real negative here. Yeah, exactly. It'd almost be like if Taylor Swift came to you and was like, Chris, I haven't written my next album yet, but it's going to be a blockbuster. 
why don't I sell you all the proceeds right now for an upfront cost of a million dollars, and then I'll go write the album? You'd be concerned about. No, I'd know, say yes. I just, I just, <laughs> I'd say yes. Anything with Taylor Swift too, but you'd be concerned. Like, there's no more incentive for her to market it. She doesn't have to write a good album. And with David Bowie, I think you know. I'm not saying he did this, but he doesn't really have to go market himself anymore or worry about promoting his bad stuff. Uh, so yeah, but there could also be upside too, right? Like mm-hmm. innovative securities tend to be difficult to value. And that is kind of the place where you want to look for value. A lot of the kind of lazy man's way to do analysis when it's not available, you know, if there's no comps. Yep. Uh, there actually was a, a credit rating here, but boy, uh, this is not how credit analysis is not done by looking at credit readings. They have yep. almost nothing in common. Uh, and uh, I, I'm drawn to situations where the lazy man's way of doing analysis is unavailable because I get to lose competitors and I just do what I would do in any case, which is by hand, figure out what something's worth. So one of the things like Del Frisco's, one of the things we like is it, it, tra- it has the press margins and it trades at about 8x EBITDA, mm-hmm. which is a measure of earnings. And we can go look at other publicly traded restaurant groups and say, oh, they trade for generally 8x earnings. So we're buying it in line with competitors, but at a uh, depressed margins. And what you're saying is, if a new security comes up, like a, a business model no one's seen before, that can be really useful because no one else knows what to compare it to and mm-hmm. what multiple to price it at. Mm-hmm. And that's... That's to the advantage of an enterprising investor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think that's it. Uh, Thanks again for taking the time to listen to us. Please be sure to subscribe or rate us on wherever you get your podcasts if you haven't done so already. Uh, And we will talk to you next week.